0: all right we'll go ahead and uh get class underway today we'll go ahead and uh, open up with a word of prayer heavenly father we want to thank you for this day thank you for everyone that's in attendance this morning for our sunday school class i pray that your holy spirit would open up our hearts and our minds help us to uh, understand your word to be able to apply it to our lives and uh grow as believers and also relay this information to other people uh, that we might uh, minister to them and edify them and, and bring them closer to you. And uh, Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, Ariana made uh, homemade chocolate chip cookies for, for the Sunday school class, so feel free to indulge and grab yourself a coffee and a cookie. So uh, the last couple Sundays, we have dealt with the character of Abraham kind of setting the stage up to get into the life of Abraham. And uh, to understand the stories about Abraham, you've got to understand who he was, what his character was was like. And um, he's kind of a precursor to Yeshua, the Messiah, because all of the character traits that we find in Abraham are emulated in the Messiah as well. So he is a good template and a good example to be called Father Abraham, the father of our faith and uh, uh so let's begin with genesis chapter 12. Uh, today we're not going to really get into the stories uh, more so than we are going to be talking about the abrahamic covenant i think that's another key to understanding the stories regarding abraham is we have to understand his character but we also have to understand uh the abrahamic covenant the covenant that god made with him now, there's many covenants in the Bible. Uh, I'll probably miss them if I try to uh, name them all, but you have the Edenic Covenant, you have the uh, Adamic Covenant, you have the Noadic Covenant, the um, Mosaic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and the Renewed Covenant. And all these covenants, they don't replace one another, they, they build upon one another. So the foundation of one is laid, and then the covenants are layered on top of each other because each covenant confirms the previous one before it. So you had the Edenic covenant, which was the covenant with uh, Adam regarding the Garden of Eden. Then you had the covenant that God made with Adam himself, and then you have the covenant that God made with Noah, and so on and so forth, and it just builds on one another. So these covenants don't expire. uh, They don't come to an end they're not done away with. And sadly, many people will say that certain covenants have been done away with. Uh, The biggest one they say is the Mosaic covenant, but our our morality and our faith are built on that very covenant. And some of those uh, aspects of the Mosaic covenant are not able to be fulfilled at this time because um, the conditions aren't right to fulfill those aspects of the covenant. Uh, For instance, there's no temple standing in Israel, therefore, there's no working Levitical priesthood, so those aspects of the Mosaic Covenant can't be fulfilled. But I liken it unto the plaster rock pool. There's rules and regulations clearly stated on the wall of the plaster rock pool, but uh, you know, can you fulfill those, those rules of the pool right now? No, because it's wintertime, there's no water in the pool, it's too cold, it doesn't mean that those laws of the swimming pool has been done away with. They've just been shelved. They've been put on hold until the conditions are right to be able to invoke those uh, rules and regulations of the pool again. So certain aspects of the Mosaic Covenant are just simply suspended or put on hold until the condition is right to fulfill those. A little bunny trail there, but we'll get back on track. So uh, Genesis chapter 12, we'll begin with verses 1 through 3. says, then Adonai... The Lord said to Abram, get out from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. And here's that famous verse that everybody knows, the, the crooks of, of this, uh, this covenant. I will bless those who bless you. But whoever curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we know that Abram had a name change to Abraham. So Abram means father of height, and Abraham means father of the multitude, or father of the peoples. And there's only one letter in Hebrew that was added to Abram's name to make it Abraham, and that is the hebrew letter hey which corresponds to our letter h that letter in judaism in uh, in in hebraic grammar is considered the the letter of life because it, it has a breath sound a hey and so abraham who was virtually sterile couldn't couldn't produce life uh, god miraculously uh, caused him to be able to reproduce once again by adding that h to his name same thing with sarah became sarah and sarah was barren until that h that letter hay was added the letter representing life so both of them were kind of rejuvenated you know everybody's looking for the fountain of youth well the fountain of youth is found in god uh he can make what is dead alive again so we see that abraham was in uh he it, the scriptures i don't have the verses written down but in in other scriptures he's called an Arame, uh, an Aramean and later in scripture he's called a hebrew so he was originally an aramean and the designation of his ethnicity if you will was switched to the word hebrew now hebrew is a word which means he who is crossed over and because they were in mesopotamia or the chaldees you know they crossed into other people's lands they crossed a river into another border into another boundary into the canaan land which would which god had promised to Abraham, that would eventually be his and his descendants. And of course, we know that Abraham didn't see this come to pass in his lifetime, but he looked forward to it and he believed God that this was going to happen. And the Book of Hebrews, uh, chapter eleven, the the famous Hall of Faith in Hebrews, talks about how Abraham believed this, even though he never saw it come to fruition in his life. So he he was ch- his designation was changed from Abram to Abraham. He was an Aramean and he became a Hebrew. So he's the first Hebrew, one who has crossed over. Uh, Other there's some scholars who believe that uh, this spawned a tribe called the Habiru, and sometimes they link the the Habiru or the Hibiru to um, to the Hebrew people. Uh, Interestingly enough, most people know I've been to Africa and uh, worked with the Ebu people, and it's believed that the word Ebu is a corruption of Hebrew of the word Hebrew. Sounds very similar. Sounds almost identical. But we know as, as language progresses and as culture progresses and as time progresses, you lose things in language. Um, like, for instance, uh, sometimes we say, hey, what's up? Or what is up would be more proper. So we get a little lazy. We take out the I, put it in an apostrophe. Now it's what's up? And then more years down the road, it's what's up? You know, we take out the T and it's just what's sup. And then now people say sup. So we see how language changes and language shortens and language morphs. So we have Hebrew to ebu. You know, we have what is up to sup. <laughs> you know, so that kind of gives you an understanding of how uh, language uh, changes things and how things are a little bit different. All right, so we know that originally they were in uh, Haran in Mesopotamia. And uh, they left there. But Abraham's family didn't go with him because in Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 through 32, it says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, Haran's son, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter in law, his son Abram's wife, and took them out of Ur the Chaldees, which that's where they were originally, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah's days were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we know that after this, that's when God gave the ultimatum to say, okay, Abraham, it's time for you to cut the apron strings, time to cut the umbilical cord, time to get away from your family, Uh, which may seem a little cruel because family is very important in Scripture. So why would God want him to separate from? from his family. Well, we'll see here in, in a few minutes. So Ter- Terah, his father, uh, is we can kind of learn a little lesson. So God kept telling Abraham to get further and further away from Ur of the Chaldees. Well, they finally left and his father and his family went with them up until Haran. And then his family stayed in Haran and that's where Terah died. So this is kind of symbolic, a little lesson here that we can learn that partial obedience is still disobedience. You know, it's 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 like uh, your children. You tell your children to take out the trash. And let's say that, uh, you know, they um, they they take the garbage bag out, tie the garbage bag and set it to the side and put a new liner in the garbage bag. But they didn't take the, the trash out. And then you come back and you say, well, I told you to take the trash out. Well, I did. No, you didn't. I took it out of the garbage can and set it beside it. Well, you know what I mean when I ask you to take out the trash. I just didn't mean to take it out of the garbage can, take it outside into the into the waste bin so that the garbage people can pick it up. Well, it's still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. You obey fully or you don't obey at all. It doesn't help if you just do things halfway. And uh, so Terah, Abram's father, is kind of symbolic of partial obedience. Uh, partial obedience is the same as disobedience. So here we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God gives Abram the ultimatum to get away from his family, cut his ties with his relatives. And what we see here is God is dividing, he's electing, and he's separating. And we find this uh, same thing in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 25 and 26. It says now great crowds were traveling with Yeshua and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father mother wife children brothers and sister and yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple whoever does not carry his his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple so a lot of people in the world who have not been brought up in church uh, doesn't understand the scripture, and even some uh believers uh, immature believers take this verse out of context It's not literally saying that we should hate our family, but our love and devotion to God in comparison with our dedication to our family should almost seem as hate you know because if you if you cut your ties with your family and you move on. You know, it would look like to other people that you don't like them, that you hate them. So it's not literally that God is saying, you know, hate your family, but that your love and devotion to me in comparison to that of your family should seem as hate to the world. And we see these hyperboles and these idioms and figures of speech all throughout scripture, where you, you have to take the scripture in context. If you took everything literally, a lot of us would have eye patches because we'd have gouged our eyes out by now. Or we would only have a, we'd have a prosthetic hand because we would have chopped our hand off a long time ago. Because doesn't the Bible say, if your eye offends you, pluck it out? If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better that that part goes into hell than your whole body. Well, we obviously know not to take that literally. So we have to understand the idioms and figures of speech of the scripture, or we'll grossly take things out of context. And this is how cults are made. They take a verse, they take it literally without understanding the historical and linguistic context, and they run with it. I mean, you go to the Appalachian Mountains, and you have these churches that, right in the middle of service, and all the charismatic Pentecostal stuff starts going on, people start shouting and running, they bring out this big old crate with a lock on it. And then they open up the lock and pop open the crate, and you know what's inside it? Rattlesnakes! (laughs) And they say, well, bless God! God! He said in his word that we're going to trample on snakes and scorpions and carry snakes and they will not harm us. And to prove that verse and to prove their loyalty and faith to God, they take that verse out of context, dance around with these rattlesnakes. And so like if somebody gets bit and die, they go, well, he wasn't totally right with God anyway, or he didn't have enough faith. That's why he didn't survive. That's a cult. (laughs) That's taking the scripture out of context. So we got to understand uh the context the linguistic context of scripture just as every language has idioms and hyperboles for instance I, I bring this up all the time if i say "Woo! it sure is raining cats and dogs out there well you know i don't mean that literal cats and dogs are falling from the sky you know it's been said enough in our culture that you know what i mean it just means it's raining really really hard and so the ain't no different from scripture So we've got to uh, understand that when we look into it now we're going to get into the uh, abrahamic covenant uh, today and i had wrote a paper uh, a couple years ago regarding the abrahamic covenant so uh, i figured i'd just print that off and read that so hopefully i won't bore you hopefully i'm a good reader but uh, basically to sum up the covenant abraham was going to become a great nation abraham would be blessed in order to be a blessing Now, a lot of times we pray Lord bless us or bless me why why do we pray that is it for selfish reasons just so we could feel good and why yeah we are blessed to be a blessing exactly you know we're not blessed just so that we can have all the perks and feel good that's just kind of a bonus to being blessed um you know people focus on the gift and not the giver i remember when i was a young christian and the first time i felt the holy spirit ooh, it was like chills running up and down my spine and my i got the glory bumps you know the goosebumps and i ooh, ooh, this feels good oh i wish i felt like this all the time and so the goal became to get have that experience over and over and over well it became harder to feel the holy spirit because my motives were wrong I wanted to feel the physical effects of being blessed, physical effects of being anointed or touched by the Holy Spirit, which is the goosebumps and the hair standing up on end and and all that good feeling. And the Lord taught me very quickly, love me, don't love the gifts I give you. And this whole feeling thing, you're not supposed to go by your feelings anyway. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's just that these feelings are a bonus. It's the icing on the cake. It's not necessary. You're just lucky that I let you feel that. So um, we're blessed to be a blessing. So anybody who blesses Abraham will be blessed. Anybody who curses him will be cursed. Uh, Abraham's name, thus his reputation, will become great. Now, a lot of times in Scripture when we see the word name, it's not literally just meaning name. Like, for instance, there's a cult, and it's actually a Messianic or Hebrew roots cult. So sometimes people lump me into that because they know that I'm Messianic. But they're, they're a sacred name cult. And what I mean by sacred name is they believe that there's only one way to pronounce God's name in Hebrew, and that's what you have to say. You can't say anything else, or God won't hear you because He says, I want my name to be known. I want my name to be known. The scripture says over and over. But that's not what that verse means. A name just doesn't represent a combination of vowels and consonants that makes a sound. A name represents reputation, it represents power, it represents authority. So, you know, you a lot of times on cop shows, you say, stop in the name of the law, right? In the name, meaning in the authority of the law that I represent, I'm ordering you to stop. So it's not literally stop in the name of the law. It's figurative speech for stop because of that authority. So God's authority and reputation, he wants known. Not necessarily how you pronounce the name. There's people's come up with 101 ways to pronounce the name of God. And I tell you, The only people who really know how to pronounce God's name is the Levitical tribe because they're in charge of God's sacred name. They're in charge of the temple when it's rebuilt. They're the ones who pronounce his name once a year when they go into the temple for Yom Kippur, and they're not letting their secret out. And it's really not important that we know the exact pronunciation of the name. So again, that's a misinterpretation of scripture, how cults get started. So Abraham's name and reputation would become great. And um All the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham because we know through Abraham came um, Isaac and Jacob and through Jacob came Judah and through Judah came David and through David came the Messiah and so the earth is blessed because of Abraham because Yeshua was born and he is our Redeemer so says this is where it all begins for the three major religions of the world Judaism Christianity and Islam this is where we claim our origins begin. Judaism claims to stem from Abraham's son through Sarah, which was Isaac. Christians claim to spiritually come from Isaac. And Muslims came, uh, claim to come from Abraham spiritually and physically through Abraham's son, Ishmael, which Hagar bore to him. Therefore, Abraham is the father of all of us. Hence, he is called Avraham Avinu, which means Abraham our father. He is the father of our faith we are all related through Abraham the rest of the world is related through Noah and his three sons ham Shem and Japheth so here in chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 is the famous verses that relate to how the world will be blessed by by Abraham how because through him came the Torah in other words came Moses uh, you know the law and the Messiah through the son of David. And hence the door one must go through to have a sustainable and personal relationship with the one true God of Israel. I truly believe that the Lord will protect his own. Just think of all the nations and wars that have recently plagued the Jewish people in modern history, let alone in biblical history. The defeat of the Nazis, the Six Day War, the Yom Kippur War, and on and on and we can see how adonai defends and protects israel against impossible odds even when they have not been in complete compliance and obedience to his word or to his covenant and i think that's an interesting point right there we know that 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 judaism is in rebellion against god because they've rejected yeshua they've rejected the messiah sure they keep his instructions But the whole symbolism of his instructions was to manifest itself physically. The written word was to manifest in the physical as in in Messiah Yeshua. And so um, we're going to later get into this in our Sunday school lessons down the road. But Joseph, uh, we know that Joseph is one of the names of Messiah, Messiah son of Joseph. And it's it's representatory of Joseph in the scriptures of the Genesis account, and it says that his brothers didn't recognize him. Why was this? Because he looked like an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian ruler, and sadly, Western modern day Christianity has done the exact same thing with Jesus. They've changed his name from Yeshua to Jesus. They've changed his appearance from a Jewish rabbi to a toga wearing you know aryan looking greek looking messiah and then they also say that that you know jesus did away with the law well they look at this messiah and they're like well he's just the gentile messiah he can't be our messiah because number one he doesn't look like us number one he doesn't believe like the believe like us you know it's they don't recognize jesus as their messiah because of the way that we've represented him we've dressed him up like an egyptian So they don't recognize him by name or by the way he looks or by the way we present him. And so it's kind of the same, uh, you know, in in that regards, in regards to Joseph. Uh, So even though that Israel is in in rebellion in some ways against God and faithful with God in other ways, nonetheless, God has promised to protect Israel because of this very covenant that he made with Abraham, and we'll see why. And it is a very one-sided covenant. It's not a fair covenant. It's one-sided, and we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. So Abraham is considered the father of monotheism. When the world was going with the flow, he swam upstream. Apocryphal and pseudepigraphal literature give Abraham a Moses-like beginning, claiming King Nimrod, whom Abram's father Terah was a court official, had a dream of a child that threatened his kingdom and his status as a god as you know because nimrod thought he was was part divine and it's interesting too that these pagan kings when they die they go through a ritual after their death called apotheosis and apotheosis is basically becoming a god you graduate from being immortal to being a god and all these pagan kings had that happen to them and actually in modern culture we uh, kind of carry on loosely that tradition all of the presidents of the united states are in repose in the rotunda and there's a painting in the rotunda called the apotheosis and it's basically a pictorial representation of how all the presidents ascended to godhood nobody's going to say that out loud but it's painted in the rotunda And you know, so they're following a lot of these ancient pagan rituals uh, because you know they say, "Oh, well, we're just respecting our president." Well, maybe so, but what's? Why are you doing this? Why that painting? And 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 that painting has nothing to do with God or Jesus or or the, you know the the Judeo Christian scripture. It's kind of weird. So um, all right. So we have uh, King Nimrod. Who has this dream that there's going to be this child that threatens uh, uh, his his status as God? His advisors and court soothsayers interpret this to be Terah's newborn son Abram. So Nimrod told Terah to hand him over to be killed. Terah complied by deceitful means by giving Nimrod the infant of his household servant, who was born at the same time Abram was. While Terah hid his child in a cave, uh, while growing up, uh, it is say it is said that the um, while growing up in the cave, it is said that Abram was miraculously given sustenance from the rocks, oil and milk from the rocks. And of course, this is apocryphal, pseudepicryphal literature. We take it with a grain of salt. It's just interesting legend that kind of links uh, or gives more, um, gives more to the story that we have in the canonical scripture accounts. Surrounded by nature in the wilderness, via deductive reasoning, Abram eliminates all the gods down to one god, the one true god. And there's also other accounts that um, instead of after he spent some time in a cave growing up because of how Moses was concealed for several months, uh, so was Abraham. He got too big uh, and he couldn't escape notice, so he was sent to live with Noah and Shem. And Noah and Shem taught him more about this one true God he came to the conclusion with on his own that it existed. So he said it couldn't be the sun because clouds cover the sun. Uh, It couldn't be clouds. Uh, The wind drives them away. And so one by one, the forces of nature were eliminated as candidates for the one and only God. And Abram concluded that there must be only one all-powerful being behind every force of nature that rules the entire universe. So Terah, Abram's father, ran a lucrative business making and selling idols. Once, when Terah left Abram to run the shop while he ran errands, Abram destroyed all the idols but the largest. He put an axe in the idol's hand, and upon his father's return, his father went ballistic, asking what had happened. Abraham said that the largest idol became jealous of the other gods, destroyed them all. And his father told Abram that he was ashamed to have such a liar for a son because everyone knew that idols could not move or talk. So there was no way that the large idol could have smashed the other smaller idols, to which Abram replied by asking his father, if you knew such was true, why do you make and sell and worship them if they are truly lifeless and powerless, as you say? So later, before Abram's call to leave Ur, Nimrod required all to bow down and uh, and to worship him and to worship idols, to which Abram refused. And like the three Hebrew children in Daniel, was promptly thrown into a fiery furnace and survived unscathed. Again, this according to the book of Jasher, book of Jubilees. Um, So he survived unscathed. Shortly after this event, Abram received the call that we read about in Genesis 12, 1-3 that we just read. So all three faiths of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, Abram is known for being the first monotheist, and for being extremely hospitable to strangers, which all three faiths attempt to emulate. All right, so uh, we read verses one through three, and this is kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of the covenant itself. It says, the first requirement of this covenant was complete and total submission and obedience to extract himself from the pagan polytheistic people, land and influence, culture and family that he was brought up in, and set out to to a place god would show him and make him a nation from him free from pagan indoctrination if any of the apocryphal lore is true abram was already an oddball in the eyes of the people in his kin so what did he have to lose by striking out on his own so verse one god first implies that he will give abram land and in verse 2, he says that somehow, miraculously, through a postmenopausal Sarah and an old, virtually sterile Abram, that he would make a nation of descendants out of him and that he'd forever be immortalized, and in turn, his vast nation of descendants would end up blessing the world. Abraham and his descendants will, div- will divinely be blessed by God for the purpose of being a global blessing this indeed happened because through abraham's line came the redeemer and savior of the world yeshua the messiah now verse 3 carries implications of divine blessing and protection favor for those who bless and treat abraham well as well as his descendants and curses for those who mistreat them it's no coincidence that the allies of israel are great and powerful and blessed nations it's no wonder that canada and the united states hasn't been wiped off the map already because we have originally been allies to israel now the current canadian administration is not too friendly of israel the past presidential administration of obama certainly was no friend to israel whether you like donald trump or not he has clearly made uh, drew a line in the sand and say we will stand with israel he supported Israel. He supported Benjamin Netanyahu. He's moved. He, he's declared. Other presidents have promised this. He's the only one to fulfill this promise. He declared Jerusalem the capital. Uh, he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So he's making some groundbreaking strides in the alliance, renewing and re- revivicating and solidifying the alliance between the United States and Israel. And so because we're blessing Israel and because we're supporting Israel, uh america and canada are blessed as a result of that being associated and being allies of israel other nations who have stood against israel have been decimated uh you know uh, germany had to be rebuilt uh all of the arab nations which are larger more numerous and bigger why can't they ever defeat this tiny little patch of land the size of new jersey why can't they just eliminate it'd be easy to wipe israel off the map but they can never do it Uh, And that's just uh, the miraculous um, of God, the miracles of God for Israel. All right. Um, So I want to go quickly. Well, maybe not quickly, but I want to go to uh, Genesis chapter 15. So we'll probably, we may end up making this a two parter. So this is the covenant between the parts. This is actually, whenever you made a covenant, you just couldn't verbally make a promise to somebody and call it good there was blood that was shed as symbolically sealing the covenant. And basically a covenant between the parts was a very uh, common covenant in Middle Eastern culture. Basically you would slaughter animals, cut them in half and walk between them. And basically these these severed animals represented that if you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain, you're gonna end up just like these animals. So it was kind of a, a deterrent, kind of a warning so the blood is what sealed the covenant and then usually it was ended by a a communal meal like a festive meal so in genesis chapter 15 beginning with verse 1 it says after these things the word of adonai came to abraham in a vision saying the words of adonai came to abram in a vision saying the word of adonai maybe i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here But who is the word of God? Who is the word of the Lord? Jesus, Yeshua. It says the word of Adonai, the word of the Lord, came to Abraham in a vision, which means he saw this word of the Lord. So this is called a Christophany, which means the appearance of Jesus Christ before his incarnation through Mary in the New Testament. Because John one says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. John 1 links Yeshua as the creator of the universe because Yeshua is the word he's the living manifestation of the written word he's the living word he spoke everything into creation and so here it's talking about this word of the Lord which came to Abraham in a vision saying do not fear Abram I am your shield your very great reward but Abram said Lord Adonai, what will you give me since I am living without children, and the heir of my household is Eleazar of Damascus?" So basically, because he had no children, Eleazar of Damascus was kind of he was a servant, yes, but he was almost like an adopted son. He was his right-hand man, trusted him with everything. So Eleazar would have inherited everything that Abraham had if he didn't have children. So just think if you're this slave. It's a rags-to-riches story you're you would maybe kind of hope that abraham wouldn't have children so you would inherit that in the end and you would set yourself up for life but we see the humility of eleazar because it was no big deal when ishmael was born was no big deal when isaac was born he even went out of his way to secure a wife for isaac you know he could have gotten salty about this not only that but we've learned through ugaritic and mesopotamian uh texts uh, that have that have uh, recently come to light through archaeology, that Eleazar of Damascus he may not have been from Damascus per se, but this word Damascus um, also means uh, the one that bears the water or the water pour or the water bearer, because it was believed uh, in in the theological thought back in Abraham's day, and God eventually had to correct Abraham of this, but uh, it was believed that when you died, that your firstborn or somebody in the family every month would have to call you back for a ritual meal if you were to survive in the afterlife because if you had nobody to carry on this ritual meal after you were dead you would be cursed to eat dust for all eternity eat clay for all eternity and that would make relatives mad and want to come back and haunt their the living so you know the 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 dead were very revered and, and were feared and so this was you could still see this part of Abraham's uh, pagan thinking still hadn't got it all figured out. And God will later, you know, iron this out for him. He says, my uh, the heir of my household, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, look, you have given me no seed. So a houseborn servant is my heir. Then behold, the word of Adonai came. The word of Adonai arrived, stood right before him. You know when we when we read this in the past the word of the lord came we just think that there was an inaudible voice that kind of went into the head of abraham and spoke to him but i believe that it literally appeared i believe that this was a manifestation of yeshua then behold the word of the lord came to uh came to him saying this one will not be your heir but in fact one who will come after you out of your own body will be your heir he took him outside and said look look up now At the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them now just imagine that it doesn't mean much to us today for us who live in modern times Uh, unless you live out on the Anderson Road or live way out in the country somewhere where there's very little light pollution you don't really get the whole impact of this statement or of this story Uh, because of light pollution yeah we see stars but it's just kind of sprinkled a little bit here and there but you go out to where there's no light at all Oh my goodness you could see the Milky Way I mean it's just it'll it'll just boggle your mind how many stars you will see so he says um, lost my place here okay verse 5 he took him outside and said look up now at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them impossible totally impossible he said to him so shall your seed be in other words, this is, this is how many descendants you're going to have. Then he believed in Adonai and reckoned it to him as righteousness. Faith righteousness. There, there's, two, there's two types of righteousness going on here. There's faith righteousness and there's works righteousness. You've got to have both. You can't have one without the other. Scooping peanut butter out of a, out of a jar with a spoon, that's pretty tasty. Eating a Hershey bar by itself, pretty tasty. Nothing compared to a Reese cup, and everybody knows how much I love Reese cups. You gotta have the peanut butter and chocolate together, or it doesn't really mean much. It's kind of like faith righteousness and works righteousness. They complement each other, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. I can say I believe all day, but my belief doesn't mean anything unless I put that belief into practice or put that belief into action. And James follows up years 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 down the road saying faith without works is dead you have faith that's great i'm going to show you my faith by my works so it's not just that abraham you know intellectually believed and agreed with god whatever god said he did he proved his faith by his actions so it says then he believed god and he reckoned it to him as righteousness so you know we as believers we believe that Yeshua died on the cross, saved us from our sins. We acknowledge his death as substitution and replacement for our own. We ask him to come into our heart to be our Lord and savior. And then everything's honky dory after that. We can just keep on shooting up drugs and getting drunk and sleeping around. And oh, there's supposed to be a change. You're to prove that faith by your actions. So you're you know you're gonna change from the inside out and you're going to be a different person for the old oldest passed away the new has come you've become a new crea- a creature a new creation so you know that's that uh, works that comes that accompanies the faith that you have then he said to him i am adonai who brought you out of ur of the chaldeans in order to give you this land to inherit the only land that Abraham solidified and inherited before his death was the cave of Machpelah that he bought to bury Sarah in from the Hittite people. But here God promises him that you're going to have all this Canaan land. He never saw it in his lifetime. And as I said, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Abraham believed God anyway, even though he didn't see it come to pass. Um, so he said... My Lord, how will I know that I will inherit it? How will I know? Prove it to me. Then he said to him, bring me a three-year-old young cow, a three-year-old she-goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young bird. Notice anything about these animals that are named? They're all clean animals. All three, yeah, three years. Yeah, they're young. These are, the, these are the same animals that are eventually used in the Levitical sacrificial system of the tabernacle and temple. This is a precursor to the Levitical priesthood. All clean animals, all animals used in the different sacrificial rituals. Uh, verse 10, So he brought all these to him and cut them in half and put each opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Basically, what, what, it's, what the rabbis say is that uh, he took his thumbnail... He wrung the bird's neck to kill it, took the thumbnail, and kind of popped the bird's head off like a lid. It was still attached, but, you know, he didn't split the... Anyway, so, and others say that he tore it by the wing and just split it just shy of cutting it totally in half. So it just depends on uh, who, who you want to believe there. All right, so he brought all of them and cut them in half, put them uh, each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the bird's. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And when the sun was about to set, and a deep sleep fell on Abraham, behold, the terror of great darkness was fallen upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed will be strangers in a land not their own, and they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. That's a prophecy of the Egyptian bondage, the Egyptian slavery. But I am going to judge the nation that they, that they will serve. Afterward, they will go out with many possessions, but you, you will come to your fathers in peace. In other words, you're not going to see this prophecy come to pass. You're not going to see this happen. You will be buried in a good old age. Then the fourth generation will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Then the sun set, and it became dark, and behold, there was a smoking oven and a fiery torch that passed between the pieces. On that day, Adonai cut a covenant with Abraham, saying, I will give this land to your seed, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaites, which the Rephaites was a tribe of giants, by the way, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, and whatever it's you want to put in there <laughs> so um, we're gonna we're gonna stop here and pick it up next week and we're gonna delve into chapter fifteen and really tear apart this uh, this covenant this covenant between the parts, what it represented, what it meant uh, and and how it applies to scripture and how it how it applies to us and how we benefit from that uh, Yeah, so that's as far as we'll get today. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for being able to explore the life of Abraham and uh, specifically the Abrahamic Covenant, and take these next two Sundays to really flesh out the Abrahamic Covenant. We've learned about the character of Abraham, now we're learning about this covenant that you made with him. What it means, what it represents, what it means for Israel, what it means for the Messiah, what it means for us as a people even here now today. So Lord, uh, help us to greater understand your word so that we can apply it to our lives. And we love you and praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.